0: April and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Rob Sitch is certainly one of the most unique fly fishermen I've ever met, a doctor, comedian, director, and actor, his television series A River Somewhere took Australia by storm. Twenty years later, his show is still regarded as one of the most groundbreaking fly fishing programs to ever hit the air. I sat down with Rob at his production house in Victoria, Australia to hear more about his inspiration for the series.
1: So Western Suburbs is considered the industrial heartland of my hometown, but I really loved industrial. I like factories and you know, it was back, you know, they are all disappeared. They're all now sort of digital startup up hubs. But uh, back then I loved even petrochemical places and they were like secret worlds. And so I... Um, I didn't grow up in a leafy suburb.
0: Well, mm. right now we're in South Yarra. Mm. Is this is this a leafy suburb? This is
1: considered the the sort of the start of the leafy suburbs. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, but it's it's very inner city. It's very hipster, and uh, and I think I think you'd say South Yarra is a prestigious suburb.
0: I didn't want to be the one to say it, but my husband may mm. have alluded to that. Yeah. Now we're in your. Office. We're, mm. we're in your, I guess, production
1: house. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it feels kind of industrial.
1: It does. It's. We moved here twenty years ago, and um, it was an old fabric shop or design house for a sort of a well-known label in Melbourne. And then we sort of it, it's it's warehousey, and there's something that it's good for creativity. <laughs>
0: I like it, and yeah. it's just – it's automatically much more relaxed.
1: It is, and so that's interesting you say that. We found out that before it was a factory for clothing, it was an animation studio. Oh, really? And we believe a really, really famous ad was made here um, that every Australian will remember called Life Be In It, and it was to trying to get Norm, who was the archetypical Aussie, off the couch, the sofa, and out and exercising. And so just about every Aussie, you know, over 40 will remember it and remember the jingle.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing. Were your parents together?
1: Yep. They, they stayed together. I've said this before, they stayed together in, in a warm and loving relationship my whole life. So if I stuff up my life, it's entirely my own fault. <laughs> <fold. laughs> right. Uh, and uh, my mother was uh, grew up on the Murray River, the Australia's longest river, on a orchard and uh, Moved to Melbourne, and after the Second World War, it was the you know it was the baby boomer period, and uh, people were getting married and having large families. And my father had a was a public servant, worked for the government, and then dropped out to take over his father's bus business. Oh, just at a time when Australia uh, was going through an, a migration boom. So, you know, I think after the Second World War, Australia's population doubled in. You know, if not a decade, pretty much like that. People came from all over the world and so the western suburbs uh, expanded in, Mel- in my hometown and, and he, his bus business sort of tracked it and, and it became quite a big operation. He, in the, I think it was the late 50s, early 60s, went to America on a study tour to see how they were doing things and, and it inspired him. He said, right, I'm going to expand and do everything. So he's a big fan of America.
0: Did you have aspirations to run the bus company?
1: He had four boys, and he, he asked each of us individually, and
0: uh,
1: <laughs> and, and and you'd think he'd, the odds were in his favour, but he he was uh, zero and four. No way! Mm. Oh, but but everyone ended up doing something that you know. I think he was wise enough to realise that uh, you know that we had our hearts somewhere else um, my old the eldest boy was traveling the world as a management consultant in London and New York and you know I think he I don't think he bothered asking him right <laughs> and he worked his way down and, and and got a got a no and that's all right. I, I think he was happy that he had kids that knew what they wanted to do
0: what were you wanting to be when you grew
1: up that's that's a, a very very good question I wanted to be a a fighter pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force.
0: Really, what what inspired that?
1: So my father was in the air force during World War Two, and uh, my mother's brother and my other uncle, just about all of my father's friends were air force people, okay. and and you know had been in Europe and over the Pacific, and I just sort of thought it felt natural. To, I didn't know anyone that hadn't been a pilot, <laughs> and. When I was 16, I did a medical and the doctor said, did you realise you have a defect in your color blindness?" And I asked, would it prevent me from joining any of the armed forces? And he said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And pilot, he said, no chance. And so then I went, you know, I didn't have a plan B, so I had to, I had to think.
0: Well, you had a plan B. It was buses. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's
1: right. I had <laughs> a plan B. So I, had plan, still... I needed a plan C. <laughs> and
0: what was plan C?
1: I... Decided on, on. I decided after that I'd try different things, and and um, I remember it, when I was at school I dropped out of pure mathematics, and I thought I'm not going to need that anymore, and did English literature on a whim. Okay. And then we we enter you know college and you know law degrees and medicine very very young in Australia, and I was accepted into medicine at uh, the University of Melbourne, so I was seventeen, and I thought. Gosh, I've never really looked at the life sciences. This sounds interesting. Something completely different. And so I did that, and and I'm still sort of registered as a medical practitioner, much to the shock of
0: <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody, myself included. I yeah. looked you up, and I thought this is the same Rob. I know it's weird.
1: That's weird. So is yes, so no, you delivered
0: babies. Is that what you? I
1: did. You had to do twenty when when I was there, you know, okay. which is not you know compared to someone who does it for a living. It's not many, but it's funny. It's it's I enjoy that. I enjoy that side of it very much. That practical skills, you know, I, you, we might get onto it later, but when you know how to do a knot, like, like as in the most basic skill, there's a feeling that the Germans have probably got a, you know, a, a word for it that's 17 syllables long, <laughs> but that feeling is replicated in, in a really interesting way in medicine and, and at scale. It's, a, it's, I enjoyed every practical thing I did.
0: So why did you leave it?
1: A very curious thing happened to me when I was studying medicine. Uh, a friend of mine slightly annoyed at the terrible roles that we'd both been given in a in a college drama.
0: Oh, so in college, you I should backtrack. When you were in college studying for medicine, were you also enrolled in drama?
1: No, I just decided to do. There were plays that they you know that various drama societies put on. and part of my notion of trying different things, I thought I might try this acting. I'd never been on the stage. and so I was given a – to say it's a minor role is misleading because it wasn't actually a role. It was I had to do the sound effects for the actors on stage. <laughs> and it was a play called Our Town by Thornton Wilder, you know, an American playwright. And a friend of mine who was also in medicine felt that his eight lines as The Undertaker were so beneath him. He said, let's go and try it for a comedy review. Oh, okay. So I did that and then the uh, – Two years later, we decided to take a year off and tour something professionally. And then the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is sort of public broadcasting, commissioning editor came and visited that production and they wanted to do something young. So it was, it was sliding door upon sliding door. And then so suddenly it sort of... Twenty-two. I found myself with a TV show with some friends.
0: Oh, so that landed you right on television. It all
1: happened very quickly while I was doing medicine.
0: Oh my goodness! Okay.
1: And so I turned to the dean of medicine at the time, and just a, just a saint of a man. And he he thought, God, that's an interesting thing to do. I don't let medicine get in the way of that. I'll I'll structure the deg- rest of the degree around that.
0: Don't let medicine get in the way. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> pesky pesky
1: old that all PhDs. That, oh, and that's so old that medicine thing. <laughs> And so he was he, he was my saving grace. And 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 then after I did my internship, I um I, I thought oh, I'll go back by then they were doing a radio show. I said I'll just take a year off and and it was a year that never stopped. So it, it, it took me about eight or nine years to complete my medical degree. But then the opportunities you know, when we started no one thought they could make a career out of comedy, but everyone does now if if the if they're Good. Hungry enough and good enough, yeah. yeah.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about your fishing. Mm. Were you passionate about the outdoors during this time?
1: I really wasn't. Um, and there's a there's a there's a certain irony I've noticed in the state we're in at the moment has is home to a really really famous school, an outdoor school called Timbertop, which Prince Charles his Royal Highness Prince Charles attended as a as a kid. Oh, really? Mm, came out here. It's it's a very famous school in in Victoria called Geelong Grammar, and it's um, Rupert Murdoch went to Geelong Grammar, and Prince Charles as a teenager was brought out here for I think maybe six months to go to this. They spend a year up in the mountains. Oh, mm, it's been very influential, and um, it's strange. I. You know, going to school here, I was aware that there was all this other cohort of kids that were learning these mountain skills, and I thought, on that front, very inadequate. But the irony is that all my friends that went to Geelong Grammar have not been into the mountains ever since. (laughs) Uh Oh. (laughs) I think anything that you impose on kids when they're teenagers, they don't do again. And I was the reverse, and that is a guy who I've worked with now for 30 years, Tom Gleisner, was a relatively keen fisherman, and he said, one day, I must have been in my late 20s. Do you want to go up and and go fishing for? I've known this lake, this lake in the in. It was it's not far out of Melbourne, and it was in this forest, and and I don't think it had a, a large head of fish in it. And I went up and and I literally, as they as are saying us, so I got hooked. I went, this is this is so brilliant. Yeah. It was a beautiful place, and it was only as we drove out I saw the sign saying fishing prohibited. <gasps> <laughs> and, it, it, why would you start any other way? <laughs> and we literally caught a I think it was a red fin and and maybe one one trout. And I literally just a light went off, and I thought, oh, that's there's no better thing to do than be in these mountains and the idea of chasing fish and learning how to do it. And we decided really early on within the first six months that we were going to learn fly fishing.
0: Why fly fishing?
1: we We just looked at, we just could see. Our journey, we just looked at it and went, that is got to be one of the most beautiful things you can do in in the world. And we decided really early on we weren't going to muck around. We were going to wait and go up for a full instructional camp on a beautiful river called the ovens River mm-hmm. in a place called Poor Punnca, which in Aboriginal terms meant light wind. Okay. yeah, <laughs> and the, and they they're blessed with a bit like the the leeward side of the Rockies. If it's not raining, it's sunny, or if it's not snowing, it's sunny. So mm-hmm. you get that beautiful. There's no in between weather, and and we did that, and we went up and threw ourselves into it, and then got equipment, and then we really got kind of addicted to it, and for good reason. That we've got our home rivers are all within two to four hours. You can get into beautiful places with great weather, mm-hmm. and. They, they just seemed to be full of trout back then. Um, there's been variations since then with drought. And we would go for, um, you know, days and and go till darkness and walk out with headlamps and, you know. And then we discovered New Zealand. And so I spent an enormous amount of time in New Zealand. And and it's it's interesting. It's, it's The fishing has gone through... Um, variations since then, but the addiction hasn't changed.
0: This was in your twenties, you said.
1: Yeah, and so I, I reckon we've been fishing, we've been fishing for nearly thirty fly fishing for nearly thirty years now. So
0: all the while, you're still doing all of this television stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, let's just jump straight to it, just so I have a better idea of your television timeline. Which show did you start off with?
1: Uh, it was a show called The Degeneration. And it was on Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and we did th- three three series of that.
0: Which is the show where you are doing all of these hilarious impersonations?
1: Oh, that was a so that was a few years after that. We went off and did a radio show for three years, and then came back. It was called the Late Show, and we that was an hour of live television on a Saturday <laughs> night about <laughs> ten o'clock. But there is only about six or seven of us writing it all, and we bit off way more than we could chew. How and, so? Well, it was. Weekly, it was a, you know an hour of comedy with just six people filling it, and there's no ads on the on the APC, and and life's not straightforward, and and we kind of had the vibe of what we were doing in our heads, but the execution we didn't, and so in some ways, in the first ten weeks, we had to learn on air, and like <laughs> all these things, you get saved by teenagers. Now, right. now <laughs> teenagers you know, are a captive audience because they can't go out on a Saturday night. But it was before social media. So Mm. what was happening was we did that for, I think we did about 40 plus episodes of it and it was pretty packed and slowly the ratings rose. And then we put out, and back then, You know, kids listening won't know what this is. It's a DVD, but it was on VHS tape, you know. And we put them out and we went to like just signing. We thought there'd be about three people in the shop and it was hundreds. And it it was, you know, now you just look up Instagram and you get tweeted whether anyone's catching on. Then we stopped it, never did it again. But it went on to the best of it went on to DVDs. And so most people came to it with a concentrated form of the show, like the best bits of it.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so it sort of had this life that never stopped because of that, that it got preserved in its best possible form, you know.
0: Okay. So if you had to give me a rundown of all of your um – series that you've done.
1: It was the one while I was doing medicine, which was sort of the same idea, but about three or four series. Then we did radio for three years. Then we did this thing called The Late Show for two years. And then we did a, it was sort of, in some ways it was ahead of its time, a thing called Frontline. It was about a current affairs, you know, think of those programs on CNN, a, a very, very tabloidy but high browed, uh, newsy current affairs show. And but you behind, acted in behind that the one? scenes, yeah. And so we was did it was kind of like
0: an office, like the office?
1: Yeah, but years years in advance. We used yeah. to say it was a satire, half a satire on office and half a satire on news. Right. And so that that sort of really, it was, and it was very naturalistically shot. So we used, I think we we're the first people to use, you know, hand held handy cams, hi act cams to shoot a broadcast series in the world at the time. And so we edited it ourselves and shot ourselves in a real set, so it wasn't a it wasn't at a television studio, and so it, it was in some ways it was very innovative for its time. And it, but fortunately, it sort of it, people had various reactions to it because it was so not look it was so naturalistic, and so we were influenced by a, f- a film called S- This Is Spinal Tap, which is a send up of a rock band in an American made in the early eighties, and we saw that and we. Well, we didn't want to send up a rock band. The way they shot it was—you thought it was a documentary, right. and, and in our heads, we go, "That's in it. That's the style in our head. That's what we want to do." And so it was almost documentary style, um, and that was in the early '90s. And, okay. Yeah. And so we did three seasons of that over three or four years. Since then, we've done—we've done a lot of different things. We made some movies.
0: Uh, um, you made one of my favorite movies, *The Castle*.
1: Oh, right, is.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I found out that you, you wrote that, yeah?
1: Yeah, co-wrote it with the others, yeah.
0: Couldn't believe it. I mean, that in itself, before I even knew you were an angler, that in itself had me wanting to come and interview <laughs> you because you, it was so genius. Yeah. Um, so what year was that?
1: That was 96.
0: How can my American or my North American listeners watch that? Uh,
1: I think it's available on iTunes. On iTunes? Yeah, yeah. The it's, castle,
0: it's, it, the sense of humour, it's just it's bang on. It's, it's perfect.
1: It's very... Uh, I guess it's very Western suburbs, Melbourne in a way, but it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's, a f- it's a father who thinks his family is, you just can't get better. Yeah. And a house that you can't get better. But the house is right on a, sort of an international airport and the planes are landing. In fact, that house only got moved at the end of last year
0: based on a true story right yeah
1: well the house was still there I knew it, that, where, that where the house was as a kid oh so it's funny that the true story came after it because I I we were joking about that house and I said oh you got it it's still there and we were thinking up movie ideas and then we came up with this idea of imagine if it was compulsorily acquired by the government but the but the, the family thought it was the best house around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so – but since then people have told us a multitude of stories that are that are, are similar, you know.
0: How come you chose not to act in that one?
1: That's interesting. I, I think because we wrote it first and we – we wrote it first and we just looked at the parts and went, no, that's not me, not me, not me, not me. And mm. and we're not afraid to do that. We've done that quite a bit over the years. Yeah. Um, and we – because we direct it, write it and edit it, and, and that's enough work. And, and and so that was in some ways a an odd film, we shot it very cheaply and thought it was going to be a calling card to go and do bigger films and more expensive films and then it got released and sort of, it just, it took off a bit but again, it's one of those films that it's become a bit of a thing in Australia, a bit like, I don't know, like the Blues Brothers or, you know, like a film that, that it did okay when it got released, it really did solidly but it lived in it's you know DVD and repeats on TV.
0: Mm, it does, yeah.
1: And that's I don't know some some films get that from being repeated. You know, um, um, it's
0: iconic now. I'm always telling his dream and yeah, <laughs> no, the, yeah. It's like a household yeah. line.
1: So that's that a few of those things came from our various families. So one of the guys that co-wrote it, Santa Chilara's father, is a, a lawyer featured in the film. We based some of the stories on. He was a suburban lawyer and still practices in in his nineties. And then a few I got from my father, who who was an incredibly complimentary, positive human being, and, and ways well, to tell jokes uh, at his expense about that side of him. And so it's funny. We, we'd honed a lot of those stories because I I knew what made my friends laugh. Right. But he, my mum used to d- come in with a plate of food and and he used to go, oh boys. <laughs> Why would you go to a restaurant when this keeps coming up night after night? <laughs> and it was just the start of the sort of Cordon on Blur" movement in, in in Australia. But every pea was boiled with an inch of its life, and beans were, you know, it, it it wasn't a degustation menu. But that positivity that he used to he used to think that everything was just so great in his life and. And we realised that's quite an addictive personality to, to see on film.
0: So where, I mean, the elephant in the room is this fishing thing. Sure. And a river somewhere. So where, how, what happened? One day you were just like, let's start a fishing television show? No.
1: Okay. Do you know, we've done a lot of television where we go, we'll think up something as, why doesn't somebody do that? and And that was a bit like what happened with our fishing is that we were enjoying going up in the mountains and going on trips so much. And when we look, looked at fishing programs, people were already out on the boat with sunglasses on and you know sort of tons of expertise and and we sat down one day and we said that's there's the bit missing you know we we love fishing it's shows as much the best as anyone
0: parts are missing
1: yeah this bit that bit's missing the bit where we get in the car and we talk and plan and make fools of ourselves and get it wrong and get rained out and and then climb up and then you have that perfect day and you. You look at a map and you dream about the, getting into this isolated place, and then you think about countries, another place in the world, and you look it up, and and you just that feeling is is such a powerful feeling, and that the journey with a friend is you know almost no one just fishes alone; it's always with friends, and then that feeling at the end of it all, and having a meal, and and so that arc, we thought that that arc of uncertainty and hunting and we thought, God, if you could capture that. And then we realised it's, you know, it's at least half of the program should be about getting there. And, mm-hmm. and and so then we toyed with it. And then we thought that's something inherently so beautiful about fly fishing and it tends to be done in the most beautiful places in the world and it's exotic. And I think everyone's realised now is you don't have to be an ice trucker to watch ice trucker TV. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> and we didn't, we just went and did like an experimental one and showed it to people. And people who didn't fish said, God, I love that. I love the mood it puts me in. And we thought, oh, we might have something here. And then when it sort of, it was a bit of an improbable success because when it went to air, people, a lot of people reacted and go, well, how can, oh, you can't, do uh, what? that's not right. Why? But then, well, because it, it's just you fishing, you can't, you know, it's got to be more important than that. And something deeper was going on with people that loved it, and but it rated really well.
0: I, I hear that it was the show of all shows. I mean, it was groundbreaking.
1: But it's all, I think it was unexpected for a start. And, and because we'd done a lot of television to that point and so it was a bit of an insight into sort of our time. I'm out.
0: Well, let's put that into perspective for people listening. If you had to give my listener an idea of how many programs you've done versus the one fishing program, what would
1: it be? So I think we've done done nine or ten completely different TV shows. Um,
0: One of which is still on?
1: It's on on air now. now? Yeah, it's it's free-to-air broadcast on one of our big stations in Australia uh, called Have You Been Paying Attention?, which – You know, we we invented in the very room we're sitting in five or six years ago, similar. We thought, I reckon there's a TV show in 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 that idea. And so we've always done that. But we've done it nine or ten times, three movies...
0: And it's we, all quite satirical. I mean, it's all, it's all full always of satire, comedy, right? Yeah. No,
1: always comedy, yeah.
0: I find everything so funny. And no? then the fishing program was just out of left field.
1: It was, yeah, it was. But it was more, uh, it, was, it was from the same DNA in that we thought, gee, what's TV's kind of missing and fishing's missing that. Well, Australia had a lot of TV where you had outback experts standing in front of the TV and go, sit down, and listen up. Here's how to survive out there. Yeah. And a friend of ours who actually did the music for a river somewhere always was amused by that attitude because the various Aboriginal tribes and they occupied every square inch of Australia m- survived wonderfully for 40,000 years <laughs> did, yeah. without any U-boot gear and without it, with no survival. And, and I thought, oh, isn't that funny? It, it's sort of, it, it's another thing we tried to do is be sort of, I don't know, be more respectful of how sort of tiny we are against this landscape. And in fact, we even did a show, which was a send up of all these survivalists in Australia. So before Bear grills, Australia had it. I mean, we just had so many of them and often made they made great shows. <laughs> but it was all this got the the landscapes against me if only i can survive <laughs> <laughs>
0: right now i've got to be totally honest with you mm. when i moved here everybody asked me if i'd seen a river somewhere
1: yeah
0: and i said no i hadn't seen it cuz no. it's from what 20 years ago yeah, yeah
1: yeah and and there's not a lot of cross pollination you know it's not a most of our shows leak out around the world in some way shape or form mm. or, and and um but there's not a, a Market for trading fly fishing <laughs> videos around around the world. it's not it's not an instant home for them somewhere else.
0: That's fair. Mm. And my husband kept saying, "April, please just watch it." But the last thing I want to do in my off time sure. is watch fishing videos. Yeah, they make right. me want to pull my hair out these days. There's no storyline. <laughs> there's no entertainment. There's ego everywhere. There's fish porn. I'm just I'm yeah. over it. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? After a few years, fine. Let me look. Let me check this out. I am so upset at myself that it's taken me this long to watch the show. Interesting. It's got story. Yeah, It's yeah. entertaining. Like, you guys are really funny in Oh, it? thank you. It's tongue-in-cheek well, everywhere.
1: We, we still fish like that. Uh, oh, I mean, we yeah? don't take cameras. We've never – in the 20 years since, we we had to do an article for Fly Life, which is the big Australian – one of the big Australian fishing magazines on the 20th anniversary, and and it made us think about this. And we still fish exactly like the TV show. But without the cameras, we still go away, plan, maps. You know, now we've got an emergency beacon, but really, it hasn't changed much since then.
0: Well, that segues me into my next point. Then, hmm. fishing Australian fishing television. Sorry, Australia, but Australian fishing television is really horrible, and I, you don't have to admit it, but it's awful.
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know whether we're overlapping on the bit we, <laughs> we we've got a lot of people in boats out on the ocean, rocking from side to side and pulling up kingfish. You know, it's it's. I just. You say fish porn. It's it's you know it's it. If you cut just to the fish being caught, but the funny thing is, we did have, and it's you don't see much of it now, a really larger than life character. He was a cop, who was a famous footballer, who in his spare time was a Australian champion angler. You know, saltwater guy called Rex Hunt.
0: Yeah, I know Rex. Yeah. yeah,
1: and he had this idea that we've got to make fishing fun and. And he had the personality to do it. Yeah, yeah. And there was about 10 years where he was prime, he made fishing prime time. Mm -hmm. And he used to have a radio show. And one of the reasons we got into, in fact, I've missed a link. He used to have a fishing show on a on a Friday night, which I loved and I didn't fish. And I used to imitate him. And I go, you know, folks, I went up the on the River and I put on a size 12 altar. Off the fish got it. And I and he used to, and it was so I loved the way he talked. And he used to go around the grounds. Let's go up here. What's the fishing like here? And it was such a great fishing program. That Tom turned to me and said, "Do you want to actually go fishing?" And by then, I was going, "Yeah, I'd love to see what all this is about." And it was because, in in a way, it was because of Rex. He was oh. just a really super large. You know, it makes you think if you if you want to sort of revolutionise anything, get someone with a like a big sunny personality.
0: He's dynamic for sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. but he, he he, I think he deserves a lot of credit in Australia.
0: Well, maybe I'll sit down with Rex too.
1: Can I say Rex is like he appears, but Rex's fishing story is is quite incredible. You know, he had fishing stores, and uh, he you know he was he was a he was a superstar. Yeah, and the only <laughs> fishing superstar in the world, probably. <laughs> right.
0: So why though? Twenty years ago, was something so incredible put out by you guys? Now here we are, twenty years later, and there's still people
1: keep telling me people used to come up with us and go, "Why don't you do one about golf? Or why don't you do one about surfing? Or why don't you?" To do a similar show. And and people tell me, Oh, we tried to do one like that and it didn't quite work. And I I don't know, I think it's I think it's fishing was the home right home for that. You know, the fishing trip is a much storied idea. But I think people keep telling me that people are, you know, a combination of cheap cameras and drones, mm. there's some really interesting videos out and about in the world. But it's, it just takes it takes a bit of time and skill and discipline to shoot all the bits that you don't think are interesting uh-huh. and make them interesting. You sort of think, well, why wouldn't you just be on the river catching fish? And, and we know that after about five minutes, you you click youtube somewhere else and grab another video right. but but i've seen i've seen certain excerpts of you know some of the stuff done in new zealand it's just absolutely you know stunning and beautiful but
0: but those are videos not series
1: no no not series no when i no.
0: i did a post last night just on my instagram saying that mm. i was going to come here and interview you and and joe and my inbox filled up with people saying, "Ask him why they haven't put out another one. Are they going to put out another? One? Can they put out another one?"
1: We we literally have got a whole series, two series planned because we used to just as fun. We used to say, "Where else would we go?" And we'd and we'd, if we'd get 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 the whiteboard out and put six destinations up. And I think kids interrupted. Um,
0: you have five of them. We were talking. Yeah, about I've got that five earlier. five
1: of them and. Uh,
0: does that keep you busy or something? Yeah, that
1: that's pretty. It, you know what? It it, <laughs> you, it you can you can sneak two hours in a day. You can't sneak two weeks. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and so that sort of, but we, by the end of the, each year, Tom and I would always try and go away for three or four days, generally to New Zealand. Um, but lately, we've just been going up to the mountains outside uh, of where I live, and and. It was funny you, you, you t- because I had to do this article. Of you know, it's been twenty years. Why, why haven't you? We start thinking about all these things, and we went through a period where we couldn't go into the, a more isolated river and sight fish for the biggest trout. And we sort of come down the other side of that mountain, and I noticed the the line weight of my rods is getting lighter and lighter, and the rivers are getting uh. sort of tighter and and quirkier, and Eventually, I've got a zero weight fly rod now, and and just love it to death, and you love poking up tiny, tiny waters, and and I'm sure that's a natural arc. But there's a series of rivers near us that that empty into the ocean, so you can be casting with surf breaking behind you, mm-hmm. and freshwater trout that were put here 150 years ago in front of you, and tiny little rods, and. That's like a wonderful discovery as well.
0: But if you're too busy to get to fish as much as you would like to, why mm. not make a television series so that you have an excuse to be working to go fishing? <laughs> or is it just that the the audience isn't there, the money's not there? I, don't,
1: I, I think I think when you've done two series like that, there was always, there's always been the chance to do it again. And in actual fact, some of the costs are just so much cheaper now than when we do. We shot that on film. We had to drag film cameras and oh, film canisters and and uh, you know it was this was before airport security got crazy but even back then we had to have things called carnets to move stuff between through borders and but now with these cameras are, you know just stunning pieces of technology and drones and the, so it'd be cheaper and in some ways easier to do it so i don't know i don't know where the 20 years went but but um we found other things to do
0: people want you back
1: oh the people are Funnily enough, of all the things I've ever done, and Tom and I have ever done, people talk to us about that series you know, why it's completely different to every other single thing we've done. And I'm afraid to go back and watch it because I go, they <laughs> they're so warm about it, and I'm thinking, what are they talking about? And I, you know, hear this a lot from anyone that directs, you know, a lot over their life. It's hard to watch anything back because you want to re-edit it. Mm. But we were coming out of this little stream that was emptying into the ocean, and a guy was putting on fly fishing gear. It's only a few months ago, and he said, "Oh, what a coincidence!" He said, "I got into fly fishing because of you guys." Thank and I think people, in in one way, it's a rep, if you haven't seen it, it's a representation of of what you know it will be like for you too if you take it up. I've had friends take it up, sort of semi, because of that, and. Our, we compare notes, and our notes are the same. We all love the same things we yeah. we love it, yeah,
0: so it's not a money thing. I figured you just moved on to better paying gigs.
1: No, no it wasn't no we we in some ways we i mean we we look with with envy on the equipment that's available today and and certain certain places we you know are, there's civil wars, so we can't <laughs> go there, but there's so many wonderful places to go. I keep discovering little bits and pieces of the world that. Lesotho. Do you know anything about Lesotho? Where is it? Well, it's buried. It's a sort of a. I don't know what. It's a state within South Africa, up towards the Drakensberg. But and the the footage of it is just stunning. You know, it requires a hike in, and (laughs) I saw. I found that the other day, and I just thought, oh my god, I'm booking a ticket to Lesotho. So there's no like uh, Tom went through Slovenia. Um, on his wife's uh, music tour. Oh, cool. And, yeah, which is, you know, and I said, the well, first thing we said, well, what are the rivers like?
0: There's mar- marble trout there? Yeah. Is that right? Like? Yeah.
1: He said they look fantastic and, and the country's stunning and, you know, so I think we all, I, I think fly fishing is the bucket list that has no end, you know, so.
0: How many countries did you guys go to when you shot that? I, New
1: Zealand a couple of times, the US, Belize, Venezuela, Los Rocas. And then we, Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh Italy, Scotland. Well, I? I think I'm missing something quite obvious, but we did a quite a few in in Australia. Um
0: Jeez, your travel budget would have been up there.
1: Yeah, well we traveled economy. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so say so you got to land and go, but uh I loved Los Rocas in Venezuela. That was, you know, that was our first experience of bone fishing. And you know, I can see why people yeah. give up everything to go bone fishing for the rest of their life. The funny thing is, is you know, a lot of American anglers love big tarpon. And the, there was a guide there who who uh, who said, "Oh, look, we'd, we'd finished about maybe we had an afternoon in advance of the plane coming to pick us up." he said, do you want to go juvenile tarpon fishing? And he goes, they're, they're not big. They're like 25 pounds. And we only had an eight weight or 10 weight rods. And, and sight fishing in three feet of water for juvenile tarpon is one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. And he's apologizing for it.
0: <laughs> Did you have one moment during the show where you just went, oh, my God, this is really happening right now? Like what's that one moment in your head that stands out above all the rest?
1: I, if New Zealand for me is is there are there are times there where you 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 just if you were God you couldn't design a better looking piece of water in a better set of mountains with a better vibe yeah you know New Zealand is just such a great country and and then you s- see you know something that looks like two pounds but you know it's eight mm-hmm. um, and. I went up a beautiful river off the Rangitiki once. We had to raft down to hike up. And, you know, I if you know New Zealand, you know this isn't right, but it's, it's a Tawanui or something. Yeah. <laughs> and seventeen syllables and these tight pools with, you know, a five pound, six pound and everything that you could see and watch. Ừ. So you watched every single thing and and come back and back then you have to use mountain radios to you know get the weather and let everyone know you're and the whole 24 hours I just went you know someone get a helicopter and get us out of here cuz it's never going to get better than this. Yeah. But New Zealand's done that to me a few times.
0: But no moments of like I'm going to die or who is this person we've lined ourselves up with? <laughs> <laughs> He's insane. We
1: we uh, we went into there's a we went into the karamea system in in the north of the South Island of New Zealand and we a lovely fellow a guide we'd been in with a few times, we said we'd just love to explore a couple of the rivers in there. So we went for a camp out. There was a hut we knew. And and as we walked in, the last words of the helicopter pilot, he was dropping us off for three nights, so four days, said, You boys are going to get a wet ass. <laughs> and it was, I mean, now we just look up on the internet the weather and you can yeah. tell for seven days. And we, all we it was a rain bomb landed there and we couldn't get picked up.
0: And you guys are using film.
1: Oh, we weren't filming on that. No, sorry, oh, that was doing- one. Yeah, well, this was a literal, this was out the back of one of those tr- those series. We went, we're going to treat ourselves. We're <gasps> going to go into the best place <laughs> somewhere. We're going to do it with our film cameras. And it just did not stop raining for five days and the we couldn't get picked up. And we ran out of food and so we literally had to go and catch a fish to <laughs> eat and and no
0: flash floods you guys are lucky
1: it was a it was a real i mean so it was a really wet part it was an area that's used to a lot of rain mm. and it was a we were on the main river and so we were able to fish the edges every day actually but all these side streams were going to go up and just washed out and and then we had nothing to read because we were just going to fish and fall asleep <laughs> and so I had one newspaper and so I started a game where you had to guess the price of the classified ads you know uh, a... <laughs> A Ford a Ford uh, Escort, uh, no, 1994, uh, 78,000 miles on the clock. What do you reckon? And I play higher and lower. <laughs> we, we had nothing to amuse ourselves. And we went past our pickup date and then into the next day and we were going to have to get up at one in the morning and hike 50 kilometres out. And like, you know, that illusion, you hear a...
0: Oh, big time.
1: And then, then I remember Tom said, "No, no, that's a helicopter." And this guy found just a little gap in it, and and came, classic Kiwi, came in and Goes, thought you might, mo- your boys might want to get out of here. <laughs> and we lo- loaded up, and we we literally settled in for another another stint. And and that and it's funny, it's when it's happening, you you know, let's be honest, when fishing blows up on you, you you're so disappointed, so yeah. utterly disappointed, gutted. But no one wants to hear the stories where it all went well.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
1: So one of the things I love about New Zealand is that you don't have snakes. And <laughs> and in, a, in Australia, we get used to them. And growing up, I grew up with a lot of snakes. Yeah. They're deadly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and people say, oh, they're f- more afraid of you are than you are. No, they're not. No, no, wrong. Because early in the season, they're pretty slow. And your, you know, sight fishing, you, you, you can step on. They'll... You know, you've got to wear waders, and and in places like Tasmania, you know, tiger snakes—they mm-hmm. can be aggressive. And so, when I went to New Zealand, I realised I didn't have to have that—you know—that little bit of anxiety the whole time. I fell in love with it. Yeah. So, so let me raise bears. <laughs> you're an Australian, <laughs> of course, you're going to raise bears. <laughs> so what's the? I mean, that's it's it's a similar anxiety that you've got to be conscious of something else other than this beautiful country
0: you do yeah and it's i mean you get used to it for sure and and you can always be bear wise and bear safe but i mean the reality is is you probably will run into a bear it just the encounter they usually are quite shy and and so they usually will want to stay away from you but you just never know sometimes there's a bad bear so you just want to be smart all the time
1: do you do you- do you pack heat, I we can't
0: work in we We're just like you guys. I could have a – I mean, it depends on the size of the barrel, but anything like a like a handgun is a restricted firearm. Sure. And actually, I, I tried to get my license because I have my firearms license. Right. I tried to get my restricted firearms, and I couldn't unless I was part of a – like a club or, or uh, I could prove that I do co- competition – so it's it's really, really difficult. So not everyone's walking around with, with a firearm, no. Yeah. You just have to be very, very aware. But, you know, it never really gets out of your system. You know how you're always aware of snakes when you're very out there? Very much, yeah. Right. So when I go hunting in Australia and I'm coming back late at night, I get really stressed out because I'll see a dark shadow and I just instinctively assume it's a bear. And, you know, while I'm so focused on bears, I forget that I could be stepping on a snake. So I think it gets built into our our blood at a really early age.
1: Speaking of hunting, have you, um, you know, the mountains out of where we're talking now have got Sambadir. Yeah. Big Sambadir. Yeah. Yeah. They are so deceptive, (laughs) so clever that I have never sighted a one in all the years I've been. Do you hunt? No, no, I, I don't. you've just
0: never even seen one?
1: No, nope. but I see fresh sign like every time I go. Yeah. Like massive amounts of fresh sign. And I disturbed one once and and heard it crashing through down a gully, but never even sighted. I heard, you know, it's 300 pounds or something plus, yeah. so you hear them. <laughs> So.
0: Do, do people bother like when you went fishing around Christmas? Do people bother you on the river?
1: We this is the curious thing. I think when we did the series, because we named the rivers we went on, people Ooh, people you thought, change that now. No, because okay. we love the we sort of cut our teeth on a river called the Hauqua and it's got a beautiful name, and and it it stretches. It's probably eighty kilometres long, and all of it can be fished. And we, in twenty years, we've never run into a single other fly fisherman on that river. And I, and even when we went up to, to this, we went up to the King River. I'll, I'll name it we, above a place called Pineapple Flat. We didn't see a single footprint. We did, and I think we've learned just to pick times and and you know pre Christmas people got other things on their mind. And and um, and it was it was just absolutely stunning. But when we've gone and fished these rivers that we name, we've just never run into anybody. Now everyone fishes, but. I don't know what it is. It's I think that in some areas fishing pressure is massive. And in other areas, in the way we fish, it's not that it's not that tough. And we hike in, we drive that bit extra and we walk in that bit extra. But nothing ridiculous.
0: So nothing. it's not like people are seeing you on the river and saying, Oh, there's Rob Sitch. It's not like America where there's this. Sense of celebrityism.
1: No, if we go to in the campground and there's fly fishermen there, they they. But there's a big thing in Australia. It's 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 the uh, it's almost like a courtesy that they don't. They'll wait until you've chatted and chatted and and then they'll as you're about to leave they go oh by the way you know it's a there's a bit of a <laughs> there's there's a bit of a I was in a I was in a bar in Melbourne and three security beefy guys walked in and were casing the joint. And I go what's this about? And then Bono and the Edge walked in and were standing there and and standing around and within about an hour even the security guys realized that no one was going to go up to them right cuz it's just not cool
0: <laughs> no not at all i find this country so cool like that
1: and so they got distracted the security guys got distracted and and I, and, I, and it was you know i think i think there's a i don't know if it's a pride in it but there's a bit of a just don't hit people straight off the bat here yeah. let them learn. um what who is it? what's a fly fishing celebrity in america
0: Lefty would be a fly-fishing celebrity. Oh, I don't, I don't mm. count. I'm Canadian.
1: But. but yeah, but, Le- Lefty, Joe yeah.
0: Wolf, these, they always have lineups at the trade shows.
1: Right. What about John Gerak?
0: Yeah, but you won't get him at any of those shows. No. I've never seen him.
1: Well, I See, He. I loved his writing.
0: Oh, he's genius.
1: So we read Trout Bum very early on in our, in our and we looked, and we. And in, a, in a way it's got a spirit that similar. we'd love. We read that and we went. You know, it's it's. It, we always felt like he was talking about rivers that aren't ours, ours, but sense of mountains and and that obsession and being doing stupid things and 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 just you know paying too, <laughs> too high a price. You know, personally at times to go fishing too much, and I, I I absolutely adore his books.
0: He's genius and he's very smart because he can go and do a lot of this without people necessarily recognizing him because it is. You know, in writing. Yeah, he's made his yeah,
1: name yeah. in, in writing. Yeah, and I, so in some ways, I look at that and you go, you know, I'd love to meet John Geere. I'd love to, and then I just go, it's, but that, <laughs> there's another part of me that goes, you deserve to be alone to do what you do and produce what you you produce.
0: Well, we'd probably say the same thing about you.
1: Look, I, no, I don't mind talking about fishing. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. I love I love running into fishermen and and. Chatting to them and finding out what they do and where they go, it's it's the I get the same buzz talking about you know possible places to go or errors and mistakes and and ideas and and no I I've never I've never tired of that.
0: And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening.